spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Perspectives. It's the show where we have a conversation about how we might be different only to discover how much more we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and my guest on the program today is Pulitzer Prize-winning Atlanta-based author Doug Blackman. And he's looking back on his experience as a member of the first class of Black and white children to attend all 12 grades together in his hometown of Leland, Mississippi. You can go through this experience with Doug by watching his new documentary. It's called The Harvest. The Harvest is a deeply personal depiction of one Southern town's painful struggle to integrate its public schools. Doug Blackman, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This has been a labor of love for you and has taken, what, a decade to get done? Tell me about that. It's taken 10 years to make the film uh, since the the point at which that I and my collaborator on this, Sam Pollard, first decided to to begin actually shooting a film. Uh, But it actually goes even further back than that and one of the stories that unfolds in the in the film itself is about an essay that i wrote in the seventh grade and then a speech that i gave in a town oratorical contest based on that essay that was the beginnings of my looking backward at the history of the things that had happened in that community and more than anything else even as a kid beginning to wrestle with just this thing that was already perplexing me even at that age of why was it that in that place in Mississippi why was it that it was so obvious to me even in middle school that the black children I knew and went to school with faced so many more obstacles in their lives than I would ever face or my white classmates and so uh, I really have spent a lot of my life just trying to examine that very basic question why are things the way they are in American society? Can you share with us some of your earliest memories of going to school in Leland as part of that first integrated class and how it felt to be a part of such a historic moment, which you probably didn't even know in the first grade that this was a big deal? I had no awareness at all that there was anything uh, uh, distinctive about our class in the beginning. And as we interviewed many of my classmates over the past several years, uh, almost none of them uh, had had any awareness of it either. Uh, And, you know, what would a five-year-old or a six-year-old really be aware of at that stage? Um, There were a few in the class who who had older siblings uh, and maybe from their siblings, they heard a bit more, maybe from their parents, they heard something more. I think some of the African-American kids were more likely to have had their parents warn them about that something was going on in some way. Uh, Though I think even those kids uh, didn't really understand what, what they were being told by their brothers and sisters or their parents. And so we we entered that whole that, that whole experience very innocently. Uh, and the, the things that, in fact, I didn't know that ours was the first class uh, to go all 12 grades together uh, until I was an adult, until I was a college student. And then I happened to read a reference somewhere that, that pointed me to that reality. But the kinds of things I do remember, though, are that um, that I was aware that there was something going on, that you know something was happening, uh, that and that no one would quite explain it, you know, and that and both in sort of positive and negative ways, you know, there were there were negative vibrations you felt at times and positive ones as well. But I also just remember 
the naivete of, of, of children. Uh, there's a there's an anecdote in the film where I, I talk about I do remember, I think, from the first grade, which was the first year in Mississippi because we didn't have kindergarten in public schools yet in Mississippi. The And that was being out on the playground and another little white boy coming along and talking to me and saying to me something that he obviously had heard at the dinner table or somehow from his parents, someone else, um, but, but saying something about how all of the Black kids should go back to Africa. Uh, and I remember my... Uh, and I bet he didn't say Black kids. Well, he did actually. Well, I think he actually I can't say, it, but he didn't say the N word. But uh, whatever he may have said. But um, but I remember my reaction, mostly being um, that to say, really, that you know, our classmates are from Africa, and uh, and the kids saying, yeah, oh, absolutely, of course, you know, they're all from Africa. And I said, Brandon and Anthony and Chris, you know, you're telling me they're from Africa, and that they came from Africa to Leland, Mississippi to go to school. Uh, and I, I was I, I was just bewildered by the, by, by the whole thing. Uh, and to me, that's a good example of, uh, when I look back on it, of just how, just how completely naive we were, even the, even those who were picking up on, you know, on ideas that we would regret, you know, uh, uh, but that still everything that was happening was, we were copying adults or copying older people, but really had no idea what was happening. Tell us about your hometown of Leland, Mississippi. Well, Leland is a is now and was then a, a small farming community out in the kind of in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the Mississippi Delta. Uh, at that time, it probably had closer to ten thousand residents. Today, it probably has about half that. Uh, it's I say in the film that if you have any image in your mind of a of a cotton plantation then the place you are imagining is the Mississippi Delta. Uh, it, it is a lot like the middle Georgia or South Georgia, but except even flatter, even more endless, uh, millions of acres of cotton and soybeans and now rice and wheat. Uh, and, the, and so it was a community that was oriented around that. It also had uh, a distinctive characteristic was that there was an agriculture research center uh, located just outside the town that um, Mississippi State University, the Department of Agriculture were part of. And so that's why my family was there. Both my parents were Southerners who'd grown up uh, in their own kind of poverty in the rural South, uh, but then went to college and became educated. And, and my dad had gotten a job just after he finished his PhD at this place. We ended up there. And so there was a little, it was somewhat different from some sm other small towns because there were more of these uh, well-educated somewhat better traveled people there. And that was one reason why there was a certain degree of greater moderation, I think, uh, in the early 70s when these events uh, began to unfold. But it was a place that was about, the town was about half black and half white uh, in a county that was overwhelmingly African-American. In the documentary, The Harvest, you explore the challenges and the transformations that occurred during the integration of the schools in Leland. For you, what were some of the most surprising or impactful moments that you discovered during your research and the interviews that you did? In the interviews that we did with my classmates, the the in in a way the the surprise uh, was how few surprises there were, uh, and and that was that the I, I was struck by how often my classmates remembered things uh, in ways similar to how I did or other classmates. Uh, and of course, in that kind of a process where you're really trying to get people to open up about their personal stories and but also be try to be very careful about that 
people's memories are not always completely accurate. And you're really trying to get down to the truth of things that happen. Uh, one of the most remarkable things that can occur is when two different people at two different times begin talking about the same event uh, from different perspectives. And when those match up and when the when their interpretations make sense, that's a powerful thing. And so it was it was very striking to hear, for instance, uh, a, a black male classmate of mine talking about uh, when he didn't go to the senior play cast party because it was at the home of a white girl who was in our class. Um, and he didn't go to the party because his he was afraid that his mother would be fearful of what might happen to him if he went to a white neighborhood, especially to visit a white girl. Um, but then also that 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 person, that white girl, also told the same story about her sense of disappointment that you know that this black friend of hers did not come and not understanding at the time, and then later realizing uh, her how naive she had been about that. But but those kinds of stories were illustrative of. Um, throughout all of the interviews and throughout the film there you have a sense that is the people who are talking the most in the film are the children of of people who were trying to make it work who were trying to keep public schools together you know not the white folks who had fled to start you know new all-white private schools and so that sense of disappointment around when things still didn't quite work even among the people who were doing their best uh, or at least thought they were doing their best uh, uh was a you know, th th again, that was a, a profound thing. It, all, it also was profound for me to just discover how little I knew about the lives of so many of my classmates, my black classmates, the level of poverty that so many of them were coming from and the, the injuries that they had suffered and that their families had suffered. Uh, and to still be discovering that at this point in my life, the age of 59, uh, it, you know, it is a little uh, humbling uh, to, to, to realize that. Doug, the harvest highlights the commitment of your classmates who've gone back to Leland to give back to the community. Can you talk to us about how those folks have made a positive impact on Leland and its residents? Yeah, one of the striking things about the story as we were making the film was that in the beginning, uh, it seemed to be a story about how this little town had tried hard to pull off public school integration uh, and to do it better than a lot of other small towns. And what that meant, what the definition of better meant in those days, uh, was to keep some white people in the public school system, where in most towns like that in Mississippi, all the whites fled. And just like here in Atlanta, when public school integration happened, the vast majority of white people fled the public schools and still do today. Uh, but, the, but so we started off trying to make a film that would capture those relationships between students and what had happened. But in the beginning, it felt a bit at times like we were making a film about a corpse because this good thing had kind of happened, but then it had died. You know, by the time we started working on the film, uh, there really were not any white kids left in the public schools. And so whatever good there had been of that, it, it looked like maybe it had vanished. Uh, but then as we were working on that film, I realized that, well, some of my classmates, one, were still there, still doing things. There was one member of the class who was already on the school board. And then another person I'd completely lost track of popped up and announced that he was running for the school board and became the school board president. Uh, the police chief was a member of the class. Uh, and then at a certain point when the schools were really in crisis, and this is one reason why it took 10 years to finish this, was that the board fired a superintendent who 
who they were unhappy with, and then hired another member of our class as the superintendent of schools. Do you think that your experiences in schools integrated in Leland helped shape your paths and your aspirations? Absolutely. I mean, that, that's one thing that's totally clear to me. And it, But it was a question that I, I, I really wanted to ask and honestly consider at the beginning of the process was, you know, well, so was it really worth it? We kind of asked that at the end of the film without saying those words. We say, you know, was it all worth uh, the the what everyone went through and the sacrifices that some people made and the, uh, the difficulties that did occur at times? Uh, was it worth it, particularly given that by the time you got to 20 years later, the schools had returned to a situation where essentially all the black kids go to public schools and all the white kids go to private schools? Um, and so was it worth it? Was all that worth it? And my answer to that is absolutely yes. And I, I hope that that comes through at the end of the film. On a personal level, the answer is yes, because the I and my classmates were, were going to school and growing up in an environment that reflects the America that exists today, the reality of America today, a country that is diverse and that you and I know each other. We work with people who don't look like us. We may love people who don't necessarily look exactly like us. Our children are involved in relationships that would have been almost impossible to have 30 or 40 years ago in Atlanta or in Mississippi. And so the so we grew up in a version of reality. And the kids who didn't and their children and grandchildren today who are still attending those, those all-white schools that were set up very specifically to preserve segregation. And there's no dancing around that. That's why so many of those schools exist. They, they deny it today, but that's why they were established. And the kids who were coming through those schools, even though they may encounter a handful of kids, uh, the, the children of a black doctor or an Indian lawyer who's moved to town, you know, there may be some bit of diversity in their lives, but for the most part, there's not. And those kids, when I talk to them, those young people, uh, you know, they're by and large good people, uh, but they don't understand the world that, that they are becoming adults in. Uh, and, and so my classmates and I, uh, no doubt, uh, we benefited tremendously from, from living in reality. And, uh, and I hope that the film will inspire some conversation in many places all around the country about the value of that uh, and the importance of perhaps talking about it again more and trying harder, trying again, going back to some ideas that we haven't talked about enough for a long time. So in the context of the current conversations about racial injustice and education equity in America today, what lessons do you think can be drawn from your story as told in The Harvest? I think that what you're talking about is the is what I call the, the central paradox of our society today. And that is that over the last 50 years, we've made uh, we've made progress in terms of race and and equity and justice uh, on an unimaginable scale you know we you know the all of the ways that things have improved so much in our society since since i was a six-year-old in leland mississippi in 1969 it's it's astonishing really maybe this is the most racially egalitarian society in human history uh depending on exactly how you look at it even with all the problems that we have yet we've made all that progress uh but at any given moment our society is vulnerable to an explosion of some kind or some terrible event that occurs, some terrible transgression that, that, that is made. And so why is it that we've made all this progress and yet we remain so fragile as a society? And I think a big part of the answer to that 
is that we failed at making public schools the place where kids of every type, uh, reflective of the society around them, would come together and be leveled in the way that we used to talk about public schools as that it didn't matter if you were rich or poor, uh, or that the, but the public schools are a place where a sense of shared values and shared citizenship, that's the one place in our society where we can encourage that and direct that to some degree. And we gave up on it much too soon. And I think that that's a part of why it is today uh, that we, we've gone along with this, this informal separation that keeps happening. And that's a big part of what leaves us vulnerable to, to things that when they happen, we know are not the way we want our society to work. Can you share some of your thoughts on the importance of preserving and sharing stories like those in the harvest to create awareness and to inspire dialogue about racial division and education equity? We have to be willing to talk about these kinds of things, even when they make some people uncomfortable. Uh, and of course, the miraculous thing about talking about uncomfortable things is that that's the only way to make them a little less uncomfortable uh, and to discover that that actually the, the lots of people made mistakes in the past. Lots of people uh, regret decisions they might've made or regret attitudes that they once had. Or lots of people still today don't realize that that they think they're on the right side of things, but but that they still harbor attitudes or prejudices or assumptions that, you know, that in reality, in the right kind of conversation, they would discover uh, they shouldn't. And there's some of that in the film. My own mother talks about her transformation uh, from the kind of person she was growing up as a white Southern girl in rural Louisiana and the moment in her life when it dawned on her that she had been inculcated with all these ideas that just made no sense. Uh, not just were hateful, but they just made no sense. And and so the it's important for uh, for people to have these conversations and hear other people talking about their experiences along those lines. And one of the one of the most unsettling things in our society today is that there are so many people talking about not discussing the past. Uh, and the in fact, I, I I'm not sure that this film could legally be shown at a high school in Florida. You know, I, I'm I'm not sure that's the case. Maybe not in Georgia, uh, with its own similar law. Um, and so the, and that's just a terrible mistake because, and, and I hope it's the case for anyone who watches the film that while it may make some people uncomfortable along the way, in the end, it's not a film that is condemning the grandchildren of white people who did something that they that we wish they hadn't done 50 years ago. It's a film about the importance of 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 finding a way forward in the end and finding a way to work together and connecting between human beings who, you know, who come from different circumstances. Ultimately, that's what it's about. And that's what all of these kinds of conversations are about. And so the, the running away from the past uh, is a, is a terrible mistake. And, and uh, I, I hope that we can get beyond this period of people thinking that's a good idea. Given your unique perspective as somebody who lived this, what advice or insight do you offer people and activists today working towards racial equity and integration? Jump in, get in there, you know, put your kids in that public school. Uh, if you, sometimes I'm asked that question and I'll ask back to an audience, I'll say, well, who in the room uh, uh, appealed your property taxes last year, appealed the valuation of your home last year? And always a fair number of people raise their hands. And I say, well, don't do that. Don't do that. Pay 
because we don't the truth is we don't pay enough in taxes uh we need to support public schools we need to we we starve them of the resources that they need we need to support them with those resources we need to engage with them whether that's as leaders or as parents uh we need to go into spaces that might feel uncomfortable and might feel different uh, and that's the single most important thing. That can mean many things, many different things to different people. Uh, but the biggest problem we have are citizens who who just sit on the sidelines. Don't say, don't take a position either way, but just sit on the sidelines uncertain about, about what exactly would be the right thing to do. And the truth is, nobody ever knows exactly what the right thing is, or rarely do. Uh, and just jump in. If, it, if, if you make a mistake, you'll actually be forgiven for it. Uh, but jump in, make a difference, be a part of wherever things are going. Doug Blackman, as you narrate and reflect on the past and present in The Harvest, what message or call to action would you like viewers to take away from your personal journey and the larger story of Leland, Mississippi? I hope that everybody who watches this film will see that it's a, a very intimate, close-up portrait of what happened in one little town, in one place, in one little group of people uh, in Mississippi, but also think about the way that it's actually the story of our whole country. And it's the story of a thousand towns, a thousand places. Uh, so many people, when they've heard about this project or seen some part of it, they'll then say to me, oh, I remember uh, I was in the ninth grade when when that happened in my town, in, in Valdosta or in Waycross or, you know, or Birmingham. The and that, in fact, this was an experience that that millions of children went through and tens of millions of children's lives have been shaped by those experiences. And so I really hope that that people will, will see that, uh, that really what the film is about is how some some folks tried to make it work in the best way they could uh, to bring together white kids and black kids and do what Dr. King dreamed of when he said it, one of the dreams uh, in the I Have a Dream speech was of the day when the children of for, former slaves and former slaveholders would hold hands together and play on the red clay hills of Georgia. And there were people who tried to make that happen. They were naive as well about how much that was gonna involve, how long that was gonna take. But it, but I hope that people who see the film will, will think about, okay, what happened in my place? What happened in my town? What happened in the high school that I went to? Why did things turn out the way that they did? Because they turned out like this in pretty much every place. Uh, and uh, uh, and I hope people that this will just prompt some thought about that uh, and and some thought about, well, hey, maybe my community would work better uh, if these kids knew each other better uh, and I knew my peers better. Uh, and, and and that's the that's the call to action I would I would put in front of people. Doug, a project like this doesn't come together without the support of a number of people and organizations, especially when you think about continuing the conversation. I'm sure there are folks you have to thank. Our partner in that process of trying to engage the public in these kinds of questions and get people thinking about what happened in their own communities, their own state, uh, our partner on that has been the Georgia Humanities Council, 
the the film itself is also substantially funded by the National Endowment for the Humanities. And I always love saying this because what that means is that this is a film that's not owned by me or my partner, Sam Pollard. It's owned by the American people. Uh, and this is a film that that people will be able to watch and stream you know, for, from here to, to the end of time, I hope. Georgia Humanities is our partner in a, in a, a plan that is already rolling out of where we're having events uh, around the country. Uh, we've done that in Mississippi. We'll soon be doing it in Arkansas, Washington, D.C. In the end, I hope that 10 or 15 states will have those kinds of conversations. And Georgia Humanities has been our partner in that with a lot of support from the, the Glenn Family Foundation in Atlanta and the Rich Family Foundation in Atlanta, who have really come through to make that possible. Indeed, they have. Again, Doug, congratulations and looking forward to the continued conversation. Thank you. The documentary is The Harvest. And for viewers in this area, it premieres on the PBS award-winning series, American Experience, September 12th at nine o'clock, including locally right here in Atlanta, on Georgia Public Broadcasting, Douglas A. Blackman. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for sharing your experience with all of us. And congratulations on this wonderful film. Thank you very much. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condas Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condas? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.